Southern trees bear a strange fruit, blood on the leaves and blood at the root, black bodies swinging in the southern breeze, strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees. When Billie Holiday sang these mournful words, she sang of the African-American victims of lynchings during the Jim Crow era. She sang of the oppressed and downtrodden, those members of society who were not even afforded the right to life. More than 80 years later, this is the plight of many South African women. In South Africa, a woman is killed every four hours. There have been countless unanswered calls for reform, but the murder of Seho Fatso Pule brought the discussion of gender-based violence back to the forefront of the collective consciousness of all South Africans. Thank you for listening to the Homicide Inc. podcast. Your review and rating of this podcast is a huge help for the growth of this show. You can do so wherever you get your podcasts. Please give us a five-star rating and leave a review if you'd like. Thank you very much. All right, let's get back to the story. On a frigid morning in 2020 in Rudderport, a town on the west of Johannesburg, South Africa, a strange fruit hung from a tree. A resident of the quiet town noticed this strange fruit as it was whipped by the bitter winter wind. As the tree drew the passerby closer, what he saw was the embodiment of pure evil. There, hanging from the tree, was the body of a young woman. Her body, which had once burgeoned with expectant life, now hung bloodied and broken. She had been dead for a while, and the innocent life she had cradled within her womb had suffered the same fate. The police made quick work of discovering the identity of the woman. The woman was Sehofatso Pule. She had been missing for four days, and her family was fraught with worry. At the time of her disappearance, she was eight months pregnant, and her family feared that she and her unborn baby may have met a terrible fate. Tragically, their worst fears were confirmed when police notified them that Seofazzo and her unborn baby were found hanging lifeless from a tree. In a country where the murder of women is endemic, Seofazzo's murder could well have become another statistic. However, it was social media that elevated this case to the level of importance it deserved. The hashtag Justice for Seho trended on Twitter. The public could not believe that even those most vulnerable, that even expectant mothers, were not spared from the violence. An autopsy was performed on Seho Fatso and it was determined that she had died from both a gunshot wound to the chest and the pressure to her neck when she was hung from the tree. The scene did not provide investigators with a whole lot to go on, so they decided to go back a few steps. They figured if they could work out where Seho Fatso was last seen alive, they could ascertain how she ended up at that tree. Investigators became wise to the fact that when she disappeared, Seho Fatso was on her way to see her partner, Nsutsugo Shoba. The two had been together since 2018. The couple had a somewhat casual relationship, 
but it seemed that Seho Fatso had hopes that, since they were expecting a baby girl, they would become a family. The couple had fallen pregnant in early 2019, but they had mutually agreed to terminate the pregnancy. When Seho Fatso got pregnant again later that year, she decided that this time she was keeping it. She must have been unsure of how Ntsutsuko would react because she only let him know of the pregnancy when she was three months pregnant. A reluctant Ntsutsuko accepted Seho Fatso's desire to keep the baby. He would, after lots of prodding from Seho Fatso, attend doctor's appointments with her and provide financial assistance when needed. What he didn't provide was any type of emotional availability. He seemed a bit disinterested and resentful of his circumstances. Despite how frayed their relationship was, they continued to date and it seemed like they might try to make a go of it. When Untsutsuko heard of the murder of his girlfriend, he was happy to hand over CCTV footage of Tsego Fatso leaving his apartment block. The surveillance footage showed Untsutsuko walking Tseho Fatso out to a car that was waiting for her. He told investigators that she had organized for someone to pick her up and take her home. The last he saw of her was her entering the back seat of the car and the car driving away. According to Untsutsuko, what happened to her after that was a mystery to him. As investigators delved deeper into figuring out who drove that mystery car, they never could have guessed that the answer would lead them only 500 meters from the crime scene. Investigators managed to get the license plate on that car from the CCTV footage. They linked the car to a man named Muzi Malepane, a man who also happened to live in Rudaport. Two weeks after Tseho Fatso was found murdered, police made their first arrest. They arrested Muzi and brought him in to enlighten them on what happened that fateful night. Unbeknownst to investigators, they had an ace up their sleeve, a piece of information that, when revealed to Muzi, would blow this whole case wide open. That piece of information was about how they managed to get the CCTV footage that led them straight to Muzi's door. When Muzi found out that Ntsutsugo gave the footage to the police, he was livid. He was so angry that he made a vow that if he ever saw Ntsutsugo again, the consequences would be dire. It's probably not the smartest idea to reveal your murderous ideations to the police, but hey, Muzi's not exactly a rocket scientist. See, the number one rule of co-conspirators is to never ever throw the other one under the bus. As we've learnt before, hell hath no fury like a co-conspirator scorned. Muzi decided then and there that if he was going down, then Untsutsugo was sure as hell going down with him. He told investigators of the sinister plot that took the life of two undeserving victims. Muzi revealed that he and Untsutsugo had actually known each other since high school. They were not particularly close, but Untsutsugo knew enough about Muzi to know that he ran in unsavory circles. It's alleged that Muzi dealt in stolen cars and would also sell illegal alcohol during the COVID pandemic, when South Africa had put a ban on alcohol and cigarette sales. The two high school acquaintances 
didn't necessarily run in the same circles. Unsutsugo was a financial analyst for the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, and Muzi was a career criminal. Nonetheless, one month before Seho Fatso's murder, the two old friends reconnected. How they reconnected is disputed, but they both admit that Unsutsugo went to visit Muzi at his apartment in May of 2020. During their casual chat, Unsutsugo revealed that he had a little bit of a dilemma and he needed some help taking care of a problem. It turns out Unsutsugo was a two-timer. He was actually engaged to another woman who he'd been with for 13 years. His fiancée would not take too kindly to hearing that he had a bundle of joy on the way with another woman, and Unsutsugo needed to keep the fiancée sweet. She had just gotten an 8 million rand inheritance, about 450,000 bucks. Unsutsugo wanted a piece of that windfall. He couldn't afford to have his fiancée leave him. His solution? To get rid of the cause of all his worries. Sehofatso, and, more importantly, their unborn baby. And just how much was Sehofatso worth to get rid of? Well, Unsutsugo initially offered Muzi less than 400 bucks. That's how much this financial analyst thought her life was worth. In the end, they settled on the grand price of less than $4,000. With the price agreed upon, they started to concoct their sordid plan. The first plan was for Unsutsugo to organize a bogus job interview for Tseho Fatso at a McDonald's. When she arrived for the interview, Muzi would kidnap her and kill her. For some reason or other, Tseho Fatso didn't show up for the interview and their plans were foiled. Plan B. They decided that the next time Tseho Fatso came over to Unsutsugo's place, he would convince her that Muzi was an Uber driver who was there to take her home. Muzi would then take her to a bridge where he would hang her from the side in a staged suicide. This time, the plan worked out perfectly. Well, almost. Sehofatso was a bit suspicious of Muzi at first, but Unsutsugo assured her that everything would be fine. After she got into the car, Muzi drove to the bridge. The murderous duo had failed to consider how busy the bridge would be at that time of night. It would be almost impossible for Muzi to carry out the plan while evading notice. After driving past the bridge a couple of times, Muzi decided he really couldn't be bothered with this whole murder plot thing. He was ready to call it a day and head home. On his way, he stopped at an open field and shot Sehofatso in the chest. He loaded her back into the car and drove to a tree 500 meters from his home. That's where he decided to hang her body. One can only imagine the paralyzing fear that Sehofatso must have felt in those last moments. As she lay bleeding out in Muzi's back seat, slowly losing her life source, she must have known that soon her body wouldn't be able to shelter her little baby from the horror that followed. No one knows what lies beyond this life, but I can only hope that whatever they are, Seho Fatso and her baby experience the peace which they were denied in the world of the living. When police confronted Unsutsugo, 
He, of course, denied it all. He admitted that he had met up with Muzi multiple times before Tsehofatso's murder, but he claimed that he only went to see Muzi because he knew that the criminal would have some illegal cigarettes for him. Phone records told a different story. Police were able to link Untsutsugo to a cell number that made multiple calls to Muzi in the days leading up to the murder and on the evening that the murder took place. Police also confirmed that Untsutsugo went to see Muzi on the afternoon of the murder. During the trial, Untsutsugo argued that Muzi's statements to the police were not only contradictory, but also that the statements were made out of spite. When first questioned by police, Muzi claimed that Untsutsugo was actually at the murder scene and that he was the one who shot the eight months pregnant Sehofatso and then hanged her. He would later admit that he told this lie because he was angry at Untsutsugo Shoba for fingering him as the murderer. He wanted to tie Untsutsugo so closely to the crime that he had no chance of walking free. Despite the fact that Muzi initially lied to police, the court found that his testimony was believable and that other circumstantial evidence, like the cell phone records, corroborated his story. In the end, Muzi pled guilty and got 20 years in prison. This low sentence was due to the fact that he cut a deal to testify against Untsutsugo in return for a reduced sentence. Untsutsugo was convicted of murder for hire and received life in prison. Untsutsugo's conviction and lengthy sentence was bittersweet for a country that has already weathered so much struggle. It represented a small victory in the fight against gender-based violence and gave hope that, sometimes, the justice system does its job. Despite this small victory, many women are still waging a war that they are ill-equipped to fight on their own. In the wake of Tsehofatso's untimely death, mourners gathered in the streets. Clutched in their hands were pink balloons and candles as they sang a song that had been used to protest the apartheid regime so many years ago. Senzenina, Senzenina, rang from the crowds. What have we done? The song asks. What have we done to deserve such suffering? Well, this story is certainly a somber one, but there's some hope, since the public outcry for greater focus on gender-based violence. New laws have been enacted to assist in the fight. The president of South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa, has vowed to throw resources into the prevention of crimes against women. We can only hope that real change comes soon and that this vibrant country is finally freed from the clutches of the violence that's ravaged the nation since the first settlers arrived in the 1800s. Until then, all we can do is join the fight in any way that we can. Sharing stories like these brings greater awareness to the cause. There are many great South African organizations that do great work and provide counseling for women and children who have been victims of gender-based violence. Some information on those organizations and links can be found in the description of this podcast. Well, thanks very much for tuning in to the Homicide, Inc. True Crime Podcast. I'd like to invite you again to rate this podcast, whether it's on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. Be a pal, click the stars, and leave a review if you'd like to. This helps tremendously in getting our podcast into more ears. Thank you very much. Also, make sure you subscribe 
so you'll get notifications as soon as a new episode is released. And be sure to check out our Patreon campaign for exclusive Homicide Inc. podcasts that are available first to patrons. That information is in the description of this podcast. If you have a compelling true crime story you'd like me to consider investigating, please send me an email. And if you'd like to help support the production of the Homicide Inc. podcast, you can always buy us a coffee. Those details are also in the description and on the Homicide Inc. website, where you can hear all the podcasts and some other cool stuff. Well, thanks so much, and we'll see you again very soon. Ciao for now.